Hello, I'm Sarah James, a lifestyle blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast in the Lifelisten Network about two women embarking on a self-care bender. We're both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet it's elusive. And while we may have all the information we need, we don't always get there. We want to explore different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious, looking at body, mind, and spirit, and also just some random talk that's thrown in there for good measure. We also want to look at the defenses and distractions to keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Okay, guys. Well, this episode, we are going to be talking about a difficult topic, which is suicide. Um, There has been a glut of suicide in the news recently, and Sarah and I also have a mutual friend who, um, within the last two weeks, um, had a suicide attempt. So it is a topic that is close to our hearts and that we wanted to explore. We're going to be joined by um, a trauma-informed counselor, BJ Hickman, who has joined us before, and she is a wealth of wisdom and knowledge on this topic. Certainly. It is, it is a really tough topic. Um, but I just, this, this month has kind of rattled me. It, I mean, it hasn't kind of rattled me. It has completely rattled me. Oh, with I know. Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and our mutual friend. And I just feel like everywhere I was turning, I was reading about it or hearing about it. And, uh, it's just, it's super scary. And it's one of those topics that I think pe- lots of people don't want to talk about, but yeah, B- BJ is so wonderful at, um, helping to really wrap our brains around it and impart some amazing wisdom. So I'm looking forward to talking with her. That's for certain. Yeah, me too. And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of both, you know, how to help and also what to do if you're struggling as well. Yes, absolutely. So I guess we should do a quick self-care update. What has been going on with you, Kristen? Well, okay, so I talked about this in a few episodes back, but I was flagged with an irregular mammogram, and I had actually gotten the phone call literally five minutes before we started to record. (laughs) Yes, I remember (laughs) this. So I was like processing, you know, in the midst of our recording. Um, So then what ended up happening is that I had to go back in for an ultrasound, Um, Now, I am a person who struggles with anxiety, and I particularly struggle with anxiety around health. I can can struggle with um, hypochondriasis and just, you know, future casting. And, you know, I am the person who gets a call about an irregular mammogram, and I'm ready to start making videos (laughs) for my kids' graduation (laughs) from high school when I'm dead. You and me both, sister. We're both riding this train together. Yeah, and I'm you know, I'm going to plan out the songs that are sung at my funeral in a year. So <laughs> this is just, it's, it's tough because these, you know, it's very typical to get an irregular mammogram. And I think it's something like 10 to 20% of women end up having to go back in for more testing. And of those women, you know, the vast majority don't have breast cancer. Right. But I was, you know, for two weeks, completely certain that I did. And, and, you know, was like every time I was with my children thinking about how they would live without, I mean, just, you know, out of control. I know. And I'm laughing at this, but yet at the same time, it is, it is scary. I think you and I are really good about, or bad, good slash bad, like making things seem humorous and ah ha ha this, but truthfully it is, 
it's a horrible situation to be in when you have anxiety because you just it, it feel is, and like, I will. I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I mean, we are laughing about it because it's easy to laugh about in retrospect. But I yes. was in a really dark place. Absolutely, yes. Like non-functioning dark place. And so, what's tough about this scenario, if you know, for those of you who've been through it, and I know Sarah, you have, is you know, you get the call that you have an irregular mammogram. Then you get to call and schedule an ultrasound, which means that there's a delay between that phone call and the actual ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Well then, and I know that this is different depending on the doctor and probably your level of insurance, which mine is crap. Mine is like <laughs> me too, the lowest level. Yes. Um, but you know, so I go in and I have an ultrasound tech perform the ultrasound, who then doesn't tell me anything. Right. And then I have right. to wait for the doctor to call me in a week. Mm-hmm. So I'm laying on the table doing this breast ultrasound and I feel like I'm going to freak everyone out about the experience, but I'm told it's not always like this, but you know, she's like going back and forth on, well, first she does the right boob, which was not flagged. Mm -hmm. So I get a baseline of like how it should go, which was, you know, it took about five minutes. It was pretty quick. It's just her kind of like swiping around my boob. Right. Right. With the wand. If you've ever been pregnant, it's just kind of the same deal. So then she moves on to the left side, at which point I realize something's wrong. Right, because she's spending more time. She's spending a lot of time. Mm-hmm. She's, and in, partic- in particular, she's going over the same area. Then this lovely, empathetic ultrasound tech starts counting out loud. <laughs> oh, my God, what? Like, that's what I need. So she's oh. like, okay. Like, this is what she's saying to herself. Okay, there's one. There's the second one. Yes. There's yeah. the mm-hmm. third one. Number four. Let me get a look at two. Mm-hmm. Let me get a mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. So I'm laying on the table. And I will say this is one situation where I did not do any Googling going in. Good for you. So I, well, except that I have no information. So I don't realize going in that cysts actually tend to come in clusters. Yes. So as she's counting, all I've decided in my head is it's for sure cancer because there's a bunch of them. Oh, Kristen. Oh, yeah. Even though that's actually not the case. And then the other thing that happens is it's hurting. Yeah. It's painful. And, and I don't mean like, I mean, it's uncomfortable, but it's, I can feel what she's pushing down on. Right. Like I can feel, oh, that's now, a spot that hurts. In retrospect, you know, Cancer tumors usually don't hurt at all, which I did not know. Which you did on not the know table. at that time. Yeah, but if it hurts, that's a good sign. Usually a very right. good sign. Right. So I did come home. I will say and furiously Google, and then learned that a cysts tend to come in clusters. Breast cancer tends to be one mass. B, you know, cysts hurt. Breast cancer tends to not hurt. But I didn't know that sitting on the table, and I break out. I, I just. I'm convinced that this is cancer that she's finding. And I just break out into like a cold sweat and I'm like fully having a panic attack on the table. And then because she's been so verbal, I'm like, so what did you find? She's like, I can't tell you. Oh oh my gosh. Which I'm like, bitch, then you can stop counting out loud. (laughs) Cause like all or nothing lady. Right. Right. So I did, I, I, I had a very tearful drive home where Mm. I was, convinced I had breast cancer and then I did some Googling and then I kind of calmed myself down and Mm -hmm. then, you know, subsequently got the phone call from the doctor who said you have a number of cysts in your boob. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, 
Welcome. Welcome to the lovely world of breasts. Yeah. I am the president and founder, the CEO of breasts. <laughs> Please join. Well, you join really me. are. We are. Well, I have, it's funny that you mention all of this because um, I had to have my uh, mammogram, my third mammogram of the year done yesterday. <laughs> and Kristen knows this because I sent her and 3D ultrasound of my boob just to text because I mean, are we going to post this? Are we going to post this? <laughs> okay. I seriously thought about it. I thought, okay, <laughs> on the self, on the group, I could maybe post it, but it's like my entire breast. So it's kind of like you can see the shape, you, you know, it's just, I, I don't I know. What if it, someone leaked it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll think about it. I don't know. Maybe that will incentivize people to join the group. <laughs> maybe if you join the group, you'll get a high res image of Sarah's, Sarah's boob. boob. But so I texted this to Kristen because this, of course, is what I do. I get, I ask the lady, I'm like, she's, because see, I'm kind of at a different level at this point with these people. You know, they know me. Um, it's a little bit more relaxed. So when I had the mammogram, this was actually a new tech though, not new in the sense of ultrasounding breasts or mammogramming breasts. I mean, she had been in this, been doing it for decades, but I, I hadn't seen her before. So she mammograms the first side and she says, <laughs> right along the lines with you, and thank goodness I've been through this enough that I don't get too concerned about it. She goes, when she pulled up the film or whatever, the, the image, she goes, whoa, that is intense. Quote, unquote. That is what she said. Whoa, that is intense. And I said, Yes, I, I realize this. She goes, no, come over here. You want to come see this? And I go, yeah, I do. So I come over there and because it's 3D technology. It's really cool. It's much different than an ultrasound or even like a, a typical mammogram film. Like you can see everything. So essentially the breast tissue is supposed to look uniform. Like it should be like one shade. You know, there, right. there shouldn't be. And you can, you can attest to this, Kristen. It's like my entire boob is filled with cysts. They're just everywhere. They're just, I mean, big ones, little ones, medium ones. My entire boob is cysts. She's like, I've never yeah. seen this many in my decades of doing this. Um, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, what can I say? I got cysty. And then she does the other boob. She's like, well, this one's just as bad. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, you mentioned this in an episode before, but it has literally affected your cup size. Yes, I've gone up two cup size. These puppies. Now, I'll say once again, there are pros to this in that, number one, <laughs> since you have cysts, you are checked more often. So I feel like if something yes. were to happen, we'd be right on it. Yes. Two... Um, a lot of cysts in your breasts cause a very dense breast tissue and it's very firm <laughs> and your boobs get bigger. So like I have some firm, decent sized breasts now <laughs> all because they're <laughs> filled with cysts. You do. I will take So you guys it. should totally go get cysts. <laughs> go get cysts, guys. Awesome. You can join the club. I'm president. Kristen's vice. Someone can be secretary, someone can be treasurer, but I think you should join our breast club. I mean, club. now I feel a little insecure because yeah, like, <laughs> well, I mean, well, my right boob didn't have any and yeah. then my left boob only had four. Well, so here's the deal. This is what I've learned in my many years of doing this. Perimenopause and crazy fluctuating hormonal levels cause these cysts to grow. Yes. So yes. I'm guessing, my guess is Kristen... Over the next couple of years, you too will probably have more cysts, and then you can be cool like me. <laughs> well, I just can't wait. And then mine, 
hurt. Oh yeah. Mine hurt right before my period. Pretty yes. Bad. Oh, good Lord. Right before my period. So bad. Oh girl. I'm just, just add it to the laundry list of stuff we have to deal with being in our forties. It's just well, ridiculous. I will say, I do agree with you though. I mean, I think there is something reassuring about like, okay, well you're just like, I have to now go and get another ultrasound in six months. And I figure, well, first of all, I figure when I go back and experience this before, I've now had the experience of it, of the outcome being okay. You know what I'm yes. saying? And that is such a good point because the first time you don't know, you're, you're frightened, right. you're petrified. And now you're just going to be like, ah, yeah, this isn't my first right. rodeo. Thanks so much. Well, and the first time I did it, it was my first mammogram at 43. Yeah. And so yeah. I couldn't get out of my head that like, I've never had anything checked. So something could have been growing. Yes. For years. Oh, for sure. And I mean, all that to say, people listening, people, ladies, go yes. get your mammograms. Yes. Get because your it's, mammograms. Because it's peace of mind, you know? Yes. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and then maybe you'll have cysts and maybe you can I join know. the club. We'll think, yeah. we'll, we'll think about it. So yeah, that's <laughs> enough about our breasts. Hope you guys enjoyed <laughs> that little segment. Um, maybe we should be moving on to our two thumbs up for the week. Let's do it. Okay, so I have one that makes me laugh because it is um, it is basically a bath bomb. <laughs> and, and I just want to say that I realized that in this in this you know podcast conversation about self care that neither of us have ever recommended a bath bomb, and I feel kind of proud of that. <laughs> You know, like we managed to do a deeper dive into self-care beyond bath bombs, but here I am recommending one. So Look at it's us. time. Look at it is us. Time. Okay. This one actually isn't necessarily a bomb. It's not like that circle thing. It is um, Yuzu Soaps, which is um, kind of a small handcrafted soap, soap company. And it is, they call it their dual bath fizz set. But what it is, they did it in connection with this design firm that makes these really cool modern tabletop things. Um, and so it is, I'm trying to paint a picture. I'll obviously post a picture of it in the Facebook community. It sits on this little wood block and then there are two glass jars with wood tops. One has um, a lavender bath scent and one has an orange bath scent. And then it comes with this awesome wood scoop that sits in the middle. Oh, that it's sounds pretty. It's super cute, first of all. Yeah, like super cute. And they smell so freaking good. Yum. And they are natural. They're, you know, made of baking soda and essential oils and coconut oil, basically. <gasps> You knew I was going to, that was my next question. I was going to have yeah, to. Yeah, of course I know that's your next question. <laughs> um, and they're just, they're just like, they're not colorful. They're, you know, and right. then I love the smells because I feel like citrus for me is like a wake up scent. So that would be like, you know, start your day invigorate bath. And then lavender is just like before bed bath. And it's, it's just really cute. Okay. I'm, I'm going to look into those for sure. Yeah, I'll link it up in our in our Facebook community page. And then obviously everything we talk about is on selfiepodcast.com each week. Oh, oh, and one more thing about these. Um, when you are done with with the bath stuff, you could totally reuse this cute little canister set. That's I mean, what I was like, thinking. Yeah, yeah, it would be like adorable with spices in it or, yeah, it's it's really, really cute. It's a multitasker. Um, and then the, 
the other thing I wanted to recommend, because this was a question posed in our Facebook community. Someone was asking about clean slash green makeup for teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I have an 11-year-old who is very into makeup. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's better at it than I am. I love it. Love it. Um, But anyway, I did discover a really great line um, that is made specifically for teens. It's called C'est Moi, like, you know, kind of the French, Mm -hmm. C'est Moi. Um, And it it is, you know, all natural and clean, but the colors are really subtle. So I feel like I can hand her their eye palette and then, you know, she can play around with it and go to town Mm -hmm. and she's not going to look like a kid who just played with makeup. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really subtle colors. Um, they have lip glosses. Um, they have a mascara that's very light. Um, and then they also have, like, face washes and sunscreens. They have all kinds of things. I'm pretty sure that they sell this at Target. Okay. Um, but you can also find it on their website. It's like, it, it looks like Sestmoi. Okay. C-E-S-T. M-O-I And so I'm guessing it's pretty affordable. Um, yeah, like their eyeshadow, eyeshadow palette is $17. Oh, that's good. And which is, is really good. Especially yeah, if it's clean. For clean makeup. Yeah. yeah. Their Ooh. pressed powder is um, $16. Their cheek palette is $16. And their, um, their sunscreen's really good, too. It's, you know, min- the mineral-based oh. sunscreen. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I might have to look into the eye palettes myself. Yeah, they're cute. But I, like I said, they are subtle. They're not they're s- super highly pigmented. pigmented. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I'm going to look into that for sure. Because, yeah, Malou's already into it, and she's seven. But, that does you not know, surprise me have, one what, single bit. What could I expect? What, what can I yeah. expect? So, all right, my two thumbs up. My first one is a supplement. I feel like I have to talk about a lot of supplements. But um, the first is evening primrose oil. Um. I have to talk about this specifically because we just talked about the breast cysts. And this is what my physicians have told me since day one helps with breast cysts. It helps reduce the number, I believe, and reduce the size of them. And have I been taking it? No, not really. I bought it. I just, I do, I mean, on and off for years I've taken it, but for some reason I can't remember. But I've learned some other things about evening primrose oil lately that I'm like, okay, I'm on it. First of all, it's an oil, right? That's in a capsule. So if you have dryness issues, um, people that have perioral dermatitis around their mouth, or if you have um, any kind of dermatitis or eczema or dry skin issues, it helps kind of from the inside out to make your skin, I guess, a little bit more hydrated, kind of like a fish oil would do. Um, and on, besides that, it also helps with chronic headaches. Hello, I would like to have that addressed and um, PMS. It's a big one for fluctuating hormonal levels. And since we all, all of us ladies out there in our 40s are going up and down and all sorts of crazy with our hormone levels, it's supposed to help kind of bring those back into balance. So I'm a huge, huge fan of this supplement for so many reasons. And I promise you, I'm going to start taking it more often. Yes. Well, on the topic of supplements, I'm going to interrupt your second thumbs up to talk about our sponsor because it is yes. a supplement subscription service. And if like both of us, you struggle with 
um, taking, you know, remembering and taking all of your supplements each day, this company is such a godsend for that. It's a monthly subscription vitamin service. It's made of all effective and quality ingredients that are personally tailored to exactly what you want to take every day. It's called Care Of. Yes, I am loving Care Of because loving. You know it can be so difficult getting all the nutrients you need on a daily basis. You know, we've talked about so many different supplements. Um, even if you yes. eat really well, you're not getting all the nutrients you need. And those vitamins can really fill in the gaps that you miss. So Care Of is a fantastic service with an online quiz that makes it really easy to figure out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. Yeah. And I took their online quiz. It's, they've done a, this whole company's done a really good job with design, but the quiz is actually fun to take. And you get to kind of, you take the quiz and you basically tell their system what priorities you have in terms of your health. Um, and so it was interesting kind of drilling into my own health goals. I was kind of, I was focusing on immunity, but I was also focused on my anxiety um, and the result is that after taking the quiz, they give you this kind of cocktail of vitamins as well as homeopathic solutions, which is another thing I love about this company. Mm -hmm. um, so they basically gave me this cocktail of things that I can take every single day to help all of the issues that I'm concerned with. Yeah. And we do, I mean, we have to talk about the packaging for a second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Even if I didn't like the philosophy, I would be in love with this company for the aesthetics alone. Seriously. Absolutely. It's like, it comes in the cutest box and every day you have a separate pill pack full of your day's worth of vitamins and supplements with your little name on it. And it has a quote or a challenge written on the front of every day. So if you get a 30 day supply, you get 30 of these little packets inside of this box. It's so easy easy to grab and go. It's shipped directly to your door. Um, you can modify your subscription at any time and it costs about 20% less than similar brands that you might find at the drugstore. Yes. And I just have to highlight again, they are using, you know, the normal vitamins and minerals you would find, but then they also have a lot of the natural and homeopathic pills as well, which is so cool. Very cool. So we have a really good deal for you. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter selfie. Once again, that is takecareof.com and enter the code selfie for 25% off your first month of vitamins. All right, Sarah, I will let you finish your second oh, recommendation yes. for the day. Okay. Well, I do. God, I can't. I can't even believe I'm gonna say this again. I know. I know you guys. We've heard it a lot about the rice cookers. <laughs> we love the rice cooker. The death of my rice cooker. Then we talked about options. But this whole time, I was thinking to myself, there was a specific reason why I bought the rice cooker I did the first time around, and I realized it. And I have to tell you guys. It's the Aroma Rice Cooker. And the reason I like it is because it's one of the only rice cookers that has a stainless steel insert, not Teflon coated. Most oh. rice cookers have Teflon coating, which I'm not Mine really does. down with. Yes. Yes. So the Aroma Rice Cooker has, it's just stainless steel. And I finally bought my new one and I'm so excited. They have two different sizes. They have like a big one. I think that creates 12 cups of rice. I accidentally- 14. 
14, okay, 14. I accidentally bought the smaller one that only um, makes six cups of rice. And when I, when I got it in the mail, I'm like, what is this world I live in? This thing is so tiny. Like this is the smallest thing I've ever seen. But for us, our family, it was the perfect amount because I used three cups of rice. It made six and it's small and it's easy to store and I love it. And it's a stainless steel insert. And I just felt the need to have to tell you all about it. So if you're okay, looking well, for now you're forcing meal. me to spend more money because I was perfectly <laughs> fine with my rice cooker. But now I'm like, yeah, I don't want Teflon. You don't, I need the stainless steel rice cooker. You don't want to be eating the Teflon. No. You really don't, though. No, it's very really true. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my second two thumbs up. Okay. Well, I'm going to buy it, but now I'm buying the 14 cup one because I have <laughs> a million children and neighbors who eat at my house every night. <laughs> Seriously. All right. Well, let's, um, we are going to switch gears and we're going to chat with BJ Hickman. BJ is a trauma-informed life coach. She has chatted with us before and we are really happy to have her again today. So BJ, thank you so much for chatting with us on this, um, what is it really a difficult topic? Um, so I thought maybe we could start with looking at some of the myths around suicide, because I know that one of the resounding things I heard in both the suicide of Kate Spade and then also of Anthony Bourdain was, I can't believe it because they're so successful or they seem to be living out their dreams or they seem to have such amazing lives. So it, it did seem to bring up a lot of these myths for people around like certain types of people wouldn't do this or, you know, certain lifestyles or certain levels of success would not be susceptible to suicide. Well, this, this really speaks into what we do with celebrity to begin with. We dehumanize celebrities. We either put them on a pedestal and we see them as superhuman, um, something unattainable, something different from us, or we vilify them. We, um, you know, they get chased down by the paparazzi and we say things like, well, you asked for that when you became famous. Oh, that's so true. And we forget that they're just people and that they have the same pain that we have and they have the same struggles in relationships that we have. And in fact, it's probably exacerbated by their celebrity, by their famousness. And they can't hide. They can't, they have to put on a certain face when they're in public because they're being watched all the time. And I can't fathom what it's like to live in a glass bubble like that where everybody is scrutinizing and we forget that they are not immune to the criticisms and the bullying that they get in the comments sections of everything they show up in. So they're, they're likely more affected in many ways because many artists are highly sensitive. That's what drew them into being creatives to begin with. So they already are at um, a deficit. Many of them struggle with depression and that was acting was a way that they were able to fight out of it. And so, so many of the things that lead to suicidality are actually an innate part of, or possibly born out of trauma uh, for those individuals that have taken into that lifestyle. And it actually becomes more likely that they're going to struggle than maybe the next person. Yeah, and it's probably difficult. I think you can almost drill it down to social media, 
even mm-hmm. with non-celebrities. You know, there's Absolutely. only so much you can see, these tiny little snapshots of people and then followers or people that are following them and looking on their lives think, well, that's, that's their life, happy and, and, and lovely. And I, I would guess being a celebrity would just take that to a, a whole nother level. Absolutely. I mean, we look at it, people are looking at it through their own attachment injuries, their own insecurities, their own um, lack of self-esteem. And they're projecting that onto these people and saying, well, my God, they've got 300,000 followers. What do they have to complain about? Mm -hmm. They have this home. They have this life. What do they have to complain about? And that's the myth. There lies the myth. The myth is that if life is good, then I have no reason to be depressed. Mm -hmm. I have no reason to feel sad. I have no reason to end up suicidal. When the reality is, and this also, you know, let me just say this too, because it also speaks into the belief that it's a, it's a selfish act. And the truth is the person that commits suicide doesn't want to die. They just want the pain to stop. And they are so desperate that this seems like a logical answer. I think about, now I never did hear confirmation about this, but one of the early reports was that Kate Spade left a note that said to her daughter, her 13-year-old daughter, this is not your fault, ask dad. I don't know a mother in her right mind who would put their child in that position. Hmm, right, right. Mm-hmm. And yet she did if that in, tr- in fact was what the note actually said. And, but that wasn't Kate the mother. That was Kate the human who was in so right. much pain that even that somehow made sense to her in mm-hmm. her effort to just get out of the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you're speaking into also that reality that, you know, suicidality is really immune to external factors. When we look at things like socioeconomic status or success, like suicidality really has nothing to do with that. People can Mm -hmm. be depressed or be suicidal regardless of their station in life. Yes. Well, and we also, I mean, obviously we, we keep talking about the stigma of mental health, but there's such, the stigma exists because of an ignorance about it. An under, mm-hmm. a lack of understanding of what mental health really is. And the truth is we can't always predict why someone is, is depressed or why they um, feel um, or feeling as much pain. There's so many things that contribute to it. Childhood trauma, our current trauma, um, anxiety. When anxiety is just and you know this, Kristen, from your own experience, which you've been so open about. And can I just interrupt myself and say, you guys have done such an incredible thing creating the Selfie Podcast community on Facebook. Oh, thank you. That group is such a safe container for the people on it. And we're seeing people saying that over and over and over again. I think even last night somebody posted just a post to thank you for it. But what I'm seeing happen is people supporting each other in a way, people coming with difficult conversations and stigmatized stigmatized conversations to talk about mm-hmm. the things that they can't talk about anywhere else. So 
I love that. And I and that is just such a beautiful extension. And if you're listening to this and you've not joined that page yet, it's it, send Kristen or Sarah a request and they will add you to it. It is it is really a powerful environment for us to be able to talk about these things on a deeper level. But the thing that's getting lost is this chronic state of anything. When it goes long enough, mm-hmm. the impact mm. it has yes. on us mm-hmm. mentally, it's neurological. It's like, well, it's like um, any kind of torture that is systemic and systematic, that's slow, and it, it just grates and it grates and it grates and it grates until you just can't tolerate it anymore. And what seemed like something small becomes unbearable. Mm-hmm. So it can be anything chronic, chronic pain, chronic anxiety, chronic grief. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're, oh, what we do with grief in this culture and what we, the beliefs that we have about it, that we should just get over it, that we should just get through it, that we should just trust God more, that we should just have some whatever belief about it. And we minimize the pain people are in because we think their grief is too much. We think they've decided they're grieving too absorbently and we don't allow people to grieve in whatever way they need to because if they can't move through it to a place that becomes their new normal because that's all grief will be it will never be the same again and it's not Mm -hmm. meant to be it will become a new normal but even that normal is hard to get to when we're telling them aren't you over that yet why are you still so sad because people don't understand it and when we do that let me just tell you that's us trying to get out of our discomfort. I'm not comfortable with your sadness. So will you please stop that? Because you're making me uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. And so the lack of empathy in all of this, it all comes back to our inability to be empathic with people who are in pain. And here's another thing that happens. I think about when every time a child dies in a hot car, the critics of those yeah. parents that they're horrible parents. I would never let that happen. Blah, blah. All this stuff comes out. And what they have found, because this, these things have been studied, is the pers- the typical person only rarely has this happened out of neglect. Right. That most of the time it happens to really thoughtful, mm-hmm. involved, engaged, responsible parents who were outside of their normal routine Mm -hmm. and made the biggest mistake of their lives. And so what those people that are criticizing them are doing is they're separating themselves. They're saying, see, that's a bad parent. I'm a good parent, so that can never happen to me. We do that with everything. We do that. We We have no empathy because empathy takes risk and vulnerability. And if I allow myself to think that I could do that too, which is what is required of me in order to feel empathy, then I'm, I'm at risk of it happening to me and I'm not willing to go there. Mm-hmm. So it's so much easier for me to vilify you mm-hmm. totally. to feel pain with you. I think we're well, seeing I think that right that, now with the, yeah. <laughs> with the immigration situation. Yes. I mean, some oh. of these responses I'm hearing from people, mm. I... I can't even wrap my brain around it. No. Just no empathy mm-hmm. at all. 
I, I can't wrap my brain around that topic at all. I have not allowed myself to listen to that video or audio no, of the kids crying I because I can't. I just I keep looking at my little Harlow who just turned seven and my granddaughter who's so so sensitive and mm-hmm. I can't fathom. I, she would not survive that environment. Mm-mm. Yeah, she truly yeah. would not survive it. She yeah. would be changed on a level that she could not come back from. And I can't tolerate the thought of what these children are experiencing. But then to add the injury of criticizing it, of minimizing it, of mm-hmm. dismissing it, oh, and I know. saying it's the law. No, it's not the law. It's a policy. It's a policy. <laughs> it is a yeah. policy that could right. be stopped right this second with a stroke of a pen. And yet, because they're in that system, it, it is still going to take months to unravel. Mm-hmm. Because now we have them in a system, and it takes attorneys and all kinds of stuff to get them out of the red tape and back to their families. We want to just say, well, I'll go get the babies. But even that can't happen. That's not the solution now because the way they've set it up, the bureaucracy that it will take to get those babies back to their parents, to rematch them, because it's not been done in a systematic way. We just pulled them apart. And, you know, I think it, that same lack of empathy that we're seeing for these families, I w- you know, I, I hear people saying, I would never do that to my child. It's, you know, it is similar to the way I'm seeing people respond to some of these public suicides, too, where it's like, check on your friends. Yeah. It's almost like this blame thing. It, it is this weird human tendency where we see something horrible and we want to figure out the loophole where we would be exempt from it. And I've seen that a yes. lot. Check on your friends. If only people checked on your friends. I mean, is, is that a way that we prevent suicide is by checking on our friends? Kate Spade's father had a conversation with her an hour before she hanged herself in her bedroom. Right. where she was talking about a trip she was going on. And she mm-hmm. was laughing and having a wonderful, normal conversation with her own father. Right. We so don't. then how, you know, how do we... Obviously, the reality is that we cannot prevent this when, no. you know, when we have friends who are dealing with inner battles. But what, what are the things we can do to make sure we're supporting our friends? Well... Again, it goes back to um, empathy and being willing to step out of our own comfort or Mm -hmm. discomfort, Um, actually step into our discomfort and stop running from it so quickly. Because when we do that, we tell them that their discomfort is too much for us. Yeah. And they're left to deal with it on their own. And it keeps, it says, don't talk to me about this. And so now they're silent and now they yeah. have to pretend everything is fine mm-hmm. because you're not comfortable with my pain. So I have to pretend I'm okay. So we have to find a way to be open to that discomfort, mm-hmm. to be open to the conversation. Another myth is that we shouldn't talk about it. And this is really, really important to anyone who doesn't understand this concept at all. Every person who commits suicide has thought about it for a really long time. Right. If they are serious, they have they know how they will do it and they have the means to do it. And mm-hmm. those are the questions you ask. 
Yeah. You say, yeah. To, if, if you have someone who is, has what we call suicide ideality, where they're talking about the things around suicide, they're saying things like, I just want to die. I just want to, um, whatever. When you're feeling that feeling that there may be something more than sadness happening here, something deeper, it's okay to ask, have you ever, you're not, you're not thinking of harming yourself, are you? Or are you thinking of harming yourself? And then give them a safe space to say mm-hmm. out loud that's what's going on for them. And if they say, I have thought about it. There are, there are times when I think about I don't want to be here. Or there are things, times when I think about I can't handle this anymore. That is language that tells you they are desperate. And you can say, let's talk about that. Have you ever considered taking your life? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. If you were going to do it, what would you do? Mm-hmm. I would take pills. Do you have pills that you could overdose on? Enough that you could overdose on? Actually, I do. Or no, I don't, but I know where I could get some as soon as I yeah. wanted to. That's all And what you you're describing is really, as clinicians, what we've been trained. These are the questions you're yes. trained to ask. Absolutely. But, but I think that, you know, the general population thinks like, well, if I... If I ask them about ideas, I'm giving them the idea yes. when in reality they have the idea have it and what you're trying to do is identify it, bring it out into the open, let them talk about it in a safe space. It's interesting because when you started saying this, that was the first thing that popped into my head because I have someone in my life who has made comments like this and the first, my first thought was like, oh no, I can't ask them that because I don't mm-hmm. want to be like pushing it along, you know, Um, planting a seed. People have that fear. Right. Right. And yet the reality is you are making it a safe space for them to say out loud because they're scared to death to say that. So when you say, would you, then they're like, wait, really? Can I say out loud? I would. And it Mm -hmm. gives, and you may have to coax them into it, or it may be an ongoing conversation, but you are never, ever, ever going to instigate a suicide by asking a, a des- desperate person if they are considering it. It's okay. just not going to happen that way. Now, when we're talking about young teenagers, that may be a different story. Um, it, there, is some, there is some research that shows that young kids, first of all, kids are fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. We, My husband used to be a youth pastor, and at church camp, sometimes they would do these breakout sessions in an afternoon and the kids could choose which one they wanted to go to. And David would always do one on suicide and 90% of the kids would show up at his session. Mm, They're so fascinated with it. And so there has been evidence that kids who have developed a fascination about it and are watching YouTube videos of, of, of people who filmed themselves committing suicide and finding that, dark web stuff can indeed become suicidal. It probably started with something, obviously, for them to be fascinated by. There's probably something dark already there. But that's that's a t- an area to tiptoe in. But it still is okay to talk about suicide. You may not want to go straight to the hard questions with a child, and you definitely want to get a, a professional involved. But you, it's still okay to ask them, are you thinking of harming yourself? Would you harm yourself? If you did, how would you do it? Okay. And then move from there. It's never, ever a bad thing to ask because they need to know it's okay to talk about it. And we can discharge it by, in some cases, yes. by catching it early. Okay. 
Yeah, and I think that there is something to bringing some of those intrusive thoughts into the light because I know I have not been suicidal personally, but I definitely have really um, intrusive thoughts that are that I know when I say them out loud are irrational mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm you know deep in my anxiety, and I know that when I say some of these things out loud, just speaking them in front of another person just takes away the power. It's like, oh, when I say that out loud, I, I hear that it sounds untrue. Right. And we do yes. that with each other. <laughs> we do. Sometimes we do. Oh, we, yeah. we totally tell each other the crazy. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Am I crazy? Yeah, that's, that's not accurate, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Thank well, you. And it's true. When you realize that we live in story, our brain writes stories mm-hmm. all the time that are not true. And we, the brain immediately says, oh yeah, that's true. Go with that. And without someone there to say, well, hold on, maybe, have you thought about this? We can, I mean, we really do live a lot of our life just assuming those things are true and not really fact-checking about them at all. No, no especially with depression and anxiety, we do not fact-check our brains. Mm. We don't. Mm-mm. So true. We don't have the capacity to when it reaches that level. Yeah. We really don't know how to decipher and we need someone that can say, hey, is this nuts? Yeah, it, maybe you're off the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the things, you know, what are, what are the real risk factors for suicide? You know, what are the things that, um, I mean, obviously depression is one of them. What are some of the other risk factors for suicidality? Again, anything chronic, so depression, substance uh-huh. abuse issues, um, so many deaths by substance abuse are actually suicides and we, they don't get registered that way. We just right. dismiss it as they just didn't, they just took too many drugs. Um, any kind of mental health, bipolar, schizophrenia, any, um, oppositional, um, behaviors. And when we start talking about adolescence, anytime there's a diagnosis that feels desperate to the teenage brain and they can't really register it as treatable or curable, that desperation can lead to more. Um, Any conduct disorder, anxiety disorders, that kind of thing. Any serious health condition, like Mm -hmm. I said, if you have chronic pain and it goes on long enough. uh, One of my dearest friends has suffered an immense amount of chronic pain in the last few years and um, she had just had back surgery and was healing beautifully from it and fell and broke her pubic bone Ugh. and Ugh. Sh- shattered the pubic bone Ugh. and fractured the two bones on either side of it. And she became suicidal in that because it was like, okay, I finally see the light and the darkness came completely on a different level. And she wasn't sure how to climb out of it at first. So um, those, any of those ongoing things that just don't seem to stop. Traumatic brain injury is something that happens much more often than we realize. And we we don't understand T, uh, TBIs very well. So when someone is recovering from one, they may begin, they may begin to seem normal again, but um, it can trigger a part, a, a, an area of the brain, a, a source in the brain that... Um, can't seem to recover and a person can become suicidal 
but without really having any other risk factor other than that part of the brain has been damaged and is now unable to process emotion in an appropriate way. And so we really watch people for years after TBIs to make sure that those kind of things aren't happening. They can lead to depression that really isn't related to having had the TBI, which is what we often think, but actually a part of the brain that was altered in a way that they can't come back from. Mm-hmm. Um, bullying is such a huge one now and not just for kids. Um, adults are bullied with social media on a level that is often dismissed um, because we think, well, you're an adult, you can handle it. Just stop reading the mes- the comments or stop stop engaging. But so many people are living life as adults with unaddressed trauma from their childhood and they're triggered in those moments and they're just right back to being 5, 7, 13 and they are processing it as though they're that age so they're not really able to interrupt that compulsivity to just sit and read and read and read until they're um, damaged and unable to come back from it. So that is a huge factor that we're seeing more and more. So, you know, if we if we have family, friends, even children, um, that we know suffer from intermittent suicidal thoughts, what are some of the red flags or the warning signs that would, that would cue us that maybe things are progressing or maybe their suicidality is, is pushing more towards real intent? They will use a lot of, um, black and white language. I can't, I will never be able to I'm always going to be this way. Um, They feel hopeless. Um, A lot of conversation around being a burden to others. Um, Mm. People will say things like, Mm. oh, don't don't spend too much time on, you know, you're, you're helping someone. I hope you're not spending too much time doing this. Oh, you didn't have to do that. Oh, you know, they're, they can't receive, um, compassion or any kind of help or offering of help they dismiss it as there's a deep sense of unworthiness uh, but it's deeper than just insecurity Um, their pain feels unbearable their language is desperate then um, the behaviors will be maybe um an increased use of substances or alcohol, um, withdrawing from things that they normally enjoy, um, withdrawing from people, um, certainly sleeping too much or their sleep is interrupted. They complain about not being able to sleep. Um, then when it gets really close to a point where they're actually considering suicide, they've got a means and a way, and they're actually making a plan, they will begin to give away possessions, um, usually cherished things that they would never consider giving away otherwise. They may become very aggressive. Um, They isolate. They may say things that in the moment seemed odd, but you were dismissive of it. They may um, hug you longer when they leave you, or say things like, if I never see you again, or something like that. And in the moment, we may dismiss that, like, what are you talking about? Um, But those are things that if someone's suicidal, you need to pay attention to because they may 
actually suicide might be imminent for them. Hmm. And if, if we are concerned that it is imminent, you know, and we've got a situation um, where someone has, they have a means, they have a method, you know, um, then what? What do we do in that situation? If you don't feel that, uh, here's, this is really important because a lot of people are rescuers by nature. Yeah. And they want to be the one that helps them stop. You know, they want to right. be the one that kind of rescues them. And it's really, really, really important that if you do not have some understanding and skill set around interrupting something like this, that you ask for professional help. Um, you can take them to somebody. You can help them find a therapist. If you know somebody who is a therapist, who goes to therapy, who knows a therapist, contact them. Whatever you need to do is get get some help for the person if they're not, don't expect them to get help. Don't give them a phone number because they're not going to make that phone call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You make the phone call and bring the therapist, the, the help to them. If it is imminent, you, you, you stay with them. If it's on the phone, you don't let them hang up. If you can get to them, but you get help to them. You can call 911 for them and get them to that person. You do whatever it takes. Don't minimize it. Don't tell them. Don't invalidate their feelings. Don't tell them um, they're going to be okay mm-hmm. um, because they don't see any way that they're going to be okay. You want to stay with them in it. Validate that you know it feels desperate. Also, that you love them and you um, that you want to help them. Offer compassion and empathy. Never advice or dismissal of their feelings. Um, don't tell them they're being selfish. Don't make it about you. How could you do this to me? Often will come out of people's mouths because they're scared, but be careful to just stay in their feelings with them and remind them that you're with them and that you're getting help to them. Um, if you Mm -hmm. can personally get to them and you can tolerate that, then get to them. Um, Mm -hmm. but also get someone else to them as quickly as possible. If someone you know that loves them and cares about them is in closer proximity to them, then loop them in um, mm-hmm. and try to get them there as well. But make sure that they know that they can what they can handle as well. Because you never know what you're going to walk in on. Yeah. Um, and so you want to just make sure that you're prepared for what you may experience. And if that's not something you're equipped for, then you make sure that you involve someone who is equipped for that. Yeah, absolutely. And last thing I want to talk about is, you know, for our listeners that do struggle with suicidal thoughts and, you know, for the people who are listening to this going, this is, this is me, what is the best place for people to find help when they're struggling? Well, the, the first thing to do is identify where is not safe. Um, if you already know that there are people in your life who are not going to respond in a way that's supportive, then it's okay to not include them. Um, and then ideally seek professional help. If you're not under the care of a therapist, um, see a therapist and try to find a therapist who specializes in trauma, um, who uses trauma modalities because they will understand what's leading to your depression there is a small percentage of people who are born with a predisposition to depression. Their brains are wired in that way. 
but most depression comes out of trauma. And we very seldom go back and look at the cause of these things. We just treat the symptoms. We go to the doctor, we get on an antidepressant. When it doesn't work, we stop taking it. And we, and we may or may not see a therapist. Um, and it's really important that you treat every part of it. Um, if you are someone who struggles with depression, start there. Don't let it reach that point of desperation. Physical activity, good diet, seeking professional help, whether it is taking an antidepressant, taking, making sure that you stick with that until you find the one that works best for you, uh, being under the care of, a, of a, a therapist who addresses the underlying causes. Go to the source of the problem. Don't be afraid to go there because there's so much healing there. And if you can stop there, start there, then you can interrupt the process that would lead you to suicidality. If you're already suicidal, then immediately get under the care of someone who can help you. And if you are today, it's eminent for you, you have a plan in place and you're considering it today, then I encourage you to call 911 and ask someone for help um, because they will absolutely place you in, in care. And um, you need to know your options. And if that frightens you, then go to a therapist and begin the process of healing. Don't put it off. And and surround yourself with people who have understanding of these things. Um, reach out for help wherever you can find it. If you don't have anyone in your life who does understand it, then call a suicide hotline. Um, you can just Google that and find one online. There are hundreds of them. There's a national one. There are local ones. Um, there's help that's literally fingertips away for you. Absolutely. And I do want to mention the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is 1-800-273-8255. It is staffed 24 hours a day. Um, and you can call there and speak to um, a counselor at any time, trained counselors. Um, and I want to just remark, especially for people who might be listening and they think like, I can't afford therapy. This is a good yes. place to start. Um, just to reach out if you're in a place where for whatever reason, um, you don't feel like you can get into therapy. Um, and then they can help give you resources to find a therapist that you can afford as well. Yes. Uh, well, thank you so much, BJ. This was really powerful. It really thank was. You. Um, you're yes, always appreciate it. such a wealth of information and we thank really you. appreciate it so much. Absolutely. I'm, it's a tough topic. And yet we're inundated with it right now. And I think these particular deaths were, um, there was something about it that I felt a, a shift in the way people responded. Mm -hmm. And I hope people are willing now to recognize the need for really sitting in pain with people and letting go of our own discomfort in that and finding an ability to see the pain that our friends are in and not be dismissive of it or try to move them out of it, but to allow them to find a way to work through it so that they can heal from it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, BJ. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Continue the selfie conversation with us on Instagram at, at selfie podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash selfie podcast. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. A huge thanks to Shepherd Audio for our intro music. Take care. 